Good morning. Our scripture is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I did not talk about Charlottesville a couple Sundays ago, and, and it was right that I didn't, um, and I could explain why, but um, realizing that, that uh, what we're talking about today, uh, I'm going to address it at least briefly. I remember when that occurred, uh, it took me back to a painting uh, you might be familiar with. It was painted in 1886 by George Frederick Watts. It's called Hope. I think we have a picture of it up here, and I don't know if you can see this, and I've got the trusty pointer here, but it's obviously a painting of a woman sitting on top of the world, though the world looks kind of blank and lifeless, and there's rather a blank background, and she's playing a liar. But if you notice, and and it's probably difficult to see, but there's only one string left on that liar. can reflect you and me some days as we look around and and witness what could appear to be the hopelessness of things, whether in our lives, in our uh, country, in our world. And uh, we're just trying to pluck out a melody of peace and hope, but sometimes it seems hard to do so. Peace and hope can be hard to find. Now, this is very interesting, um, and and I think it's almost impossible to see. Way up in uh, the middle here, right here, I don't know if you can see that, but persons noticed that what Watts did was put a small star there, and you can barely see some of the uh, 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 rays coming out from that one little star. And if you zoom in, you can see it. Oh, you can see it pretty easily. Do you see it up there? And uh, he wanted people to realize, yes, there are times when it seems hopeless, but there is always a ray of hope. Just a single star sometimes, but yet there can be hope. And the longer I live, the more I realize how desperately our world needs peace and hope these days, and how ultimately our only hope is really through Christ. Let's look, look at Romans 5.1 which Walter read a moment ago. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Since we have been made right in God's sight, we, do you see it, have peace. Now the word, it's, it's echo irene in, in, in the Greek, have peace. But the word there for have, echo, really means to grasp or seize or lay hold of. Which is why I've always appreciated J.B. Phillips' translation of this particular phrase. He says, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God. Let's grasp that reality. My question is, have you grasped that reality lately? Or really a few realities that are talked about in such a wonderful, concise form just in these two verses. Grasping the reality that we, yes, have peace with God and have access to God and hope in God. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. It kind of lays out there wonderfully in three ways. And I'm asking you, have you experienced those realities 
lately because sometimes these days it's hard to find hope. Now, you can refer to your outline if you like in your handout or we'll have this up here as well. First of all, grasp the fact that we have peace with God. I love that we just sang a moment ago, in Christ alone. What does it say? In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, my hope is found. You know, elsewhere, Paul talks a lot about peace, but he's talking a lot of the time about this inner peace. You remember the passage in Philippians where he talks about what? And the peace of God that does what? Surpasses all what? Understanding. And that's an inner peace, an inner subjective peace. And that's great, and that's provided to us when the Holy Spirit enters our lives. But prior to the Holy Spirit entering our lives, we've got to recall there were these objective realities of the cross and the resurrection that happened without, happened outside of ourselves. And I'm going somewhere with that. You know, there are some translations that say, therefore, since we have been justified by God through Christ because that justification, in a way, really was an objective reality, a reject, a, 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 an objective phenomenon that occurred through the cross and resurrection and through Christ standing in on our behalf when we are judged for our sins. And I believe, ultimately, these days, if we don't seek God from without, because Paul here is talking about outside of ourselves, upward, looking outward and upward, if we don't seek God from the outside, to come in and enter into our world, I think we're doomed. We truly are. You know, Jesus made peace for us on the cross, justified us on the cross. And we have peace with God, that translation says. It's proston theo. It, it, it literally means uh, we have peace in the face of God. Why? Because of Jesus Christ being there to face God the Father with us. I know I'm sounding quite theological here, but this is so, so significant that ultimately we don't put our hope on that inner peace that we can have, which is a wonderful gift from the Spirit. We put our hope in that which occurred outside of ourselves with the cross and the resurrection. That's where we place our hope. The peace doesn't come from within. Roy Fish, that wonderful uh, professor of evangelism for so many years, said that if we're going to look internally for peace with God, that's like trying to anchor a ship by throwing the anchor on deck. No, you throw it outside of yourself. Outside of ourselves is where we ultimately find the help. You hear people say, come, come Lord Jesus, come to us now. That's what we're talking about here. Through Jesus Christ, all of this is done. And, and Paul hammers that home again and again, that it's through Jesus Christ out there that this occurred in that real-time event. It's interesting, the first, middle, and last verses of Romans chapter 5 contain the phrase, through Jesus Christ. Let's look at that. Romans 5, 1, first verse. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith in the NIV, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The very middle verse, put that up. We also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The very last verse of that chapter. Now, God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in, in, intern, in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does the theme press on? Yeah, look at the end of chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Even at the end of chapter 7, Paul again repeats, thanks be to God who delivers me, what? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope you see 
the refraining theme there, that it's through Christ our Lord that we find peace, that which is outside that we want to enter into our lives and really into the world as well. You can only grasp that reality, and only then will you find fullness of peace. So we need to grasp the reality of that peace that only Christ can give. But secondly, we need to grasp that by grace we have direct access to God. And we talked a lot about this last week, so I'm not going to belabor this a lot, but, but we have direct access to God. Last week we talked about Hebrews and how Christ is the great high priest who, who you know, breaks open the, te- the, the curtain of the temple, and, and we now have direct access to God because of Christ. But let's look at verse 2 here, the first part of it. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of what? Undeserved privilege where we now stand. Undeserved privilege. Now we stand in direct access to God because of what Christ did for us. Does anybody know who I'm talking about when I mention the name Eric Motley? Eric was a former student at Samford, was president of everything at Samford, except the university. Tom Quartz was president at the time. Eric graduated and went to St. Andrews and got his master's and doctorate. And you know what the first full-time job he had was? Director of personnel at the White House. Uh, under uh, President George W. Bush. Well, uh, Deanna and myself and our kids were heading up there for a trip many years ago, and I just emailed Eric and said, hey, would love to see you. If you can just come out and say hi to us on the street, would love that. He said, oh, okay, meet me at the corner of Pennsylvania and whatever that is where the Eisenhower building is. And he said, just meet me there. Well, we go there, and he said, come on, come, come with me. He said, here's, my, here's one of my uh, aides here. Uh, and, you know, Eric's just graduated a few years ago. Now he has aides that help him out, you know. And I'm like, I don't have an aide. Anyway, uh, but so he takes uh, Hannah and Nick to the Eisenhower building, which is cool. That's the executive building. It's usually where the vice president, uh, president's office is and everything. Well, he takes us into the West Wing. We had, we had no idea who's going to do this. Takes us into the West Wing. Go through a lot of security. And, and, you know, I'm walking by, and he was like, yeah, here's the uh, situation room. And we go by, I'm like, we're at the situation room. This is so cool. And we kept walking through, and I was just blown away. He said, well, let's see how we can best get over to the east wing. And so we're walking down this hall, and I'll never forget it, because uh, there was a guy sitting at a desk, and he was on the phone. And as soon as he saw us, he put the phone down and said, Mr. Motley, sir, where are you going? He was like, oh, we were just going to go around this corner and then head over to the east wing. And he just said, sir... The president is right around the corner. And I'll never forget, the, oh, this is unbelievable. I can't wait to tell people. We didn't have Facebook back then, but I can't wait to tell people. This is going to be so great and everything. And then I looked over at the corner where it would enter into that hallway where I guess he was. There was the biggest, burliest Marine in uniform I have ever seen in my life. And he looked at me in a way that said, I could take you down with my pinky. And I remember that look. He was like, you're not taking a step further, sir. Uh, and we didn't. We, we found another way to get to the East Wing. We were so close, and yet, you know, there was, we couldn't get an inch closer to CW there, and I was a little bit disappointed. But, I, I, you know, I thought about that, and no matter how close we think we can get to God, and we can in different ways through nature and experience and everything, I realized that. But we cannot have direct access to him. And be set right before God the Father except through Him. 
We might get close and have wonderful experiential things that happen to us, and that's great. But to have direct access to God the Father, it's only through Christ and his atoning work on the cross along with his resurrection. So through Christ, we have this privilege of access. It's undeserved, as Paul says. And actually, it's interesting. It's it's prosagoge. I know I'm talking a lot of Greek here, but it's so interesting. The word there where it says that we've been brought into this place of undeserved privilege uh, the word privilege there is interesting. It's, it means access from a lower place to a higher place. It's talking about uh, like a commoner entering the place of a king or a servant to a master. And that's the way it is. It's undeserved privilege for you and for me. And that's where we stand now because of the grace of God. So we need to grasp the fact that we have peace with God by what he brings to us from the outside And we have direct access to him. And finally, we grasp that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let's look at verse 2 again one more time. I'll read the whole thing, but focus on the second phrase there. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Some translations say the hope of God's glory. Fascinating to me that one day we will share in the glory of God. Now, that other song that we sang, and it was beautifully depicted, and I don't know if you can say it uh, by memory, but just, just, it was this gorgeous image of, of, of standing before Christ in all his glory. It was just stunning to me because I thought, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I, th- I think of Brian. Brian took his two kids up to uh, Hopkinsville, Kentucky when the eclipse happened. How many of y'all got to see the eclipse through the glasses and everything? Well, he went up to Hopkinsville and saw it in its totality, and he said he was just mesmerized by it, and it's hard to even explain uh, uh, Cooper and Owen. It was just amazing, right? And, uh, you know, I I think about that, and that had to be, and, and Brian told me the other day, I just can't even get my head wrapped around it. I cannot even put it into words. Think about standing before the totality of God's glory and how we're going to be blown away by that someday. You know, the, the Peter, James, and John got to experience that at least as a glimpse on the Mount of Transfiguration. They, they saw a glimpse of God's glory when Christ was transfigured. But just, just multiply that many, many times, and we're going to be in the presence of Christ in his gloried state, and we will get to participate in that glory ourselves eternally. That just boggles my mind. The totality of that glory. And I've needed to grasp that reality most of the three for me. And I think it's because with Charlottesville, I was so experiencing the opposite, if that makes sense. I've clung to to the reality that that I will experience the glory of God that's, that's such purity and such victory over evil. And, 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 you know, I've, I've prayed that God would give me someone to give voice to it. And thanks be to God, uh, Dr. Joel Gregory helped me out. Joel is professor of preaching at Truett Theological Seminary on the Baylor campus. One of my heroes in, in preaching. I think he's the great expositor uh, of the word that we have in the English-speaking world. I just think he's amazing. And he wrote a post uh, after all this happened and just gave voice for me because I was trying to get at where am I with this? And it, he goes old school on us here. And he's a brilliant, brilliant man, just intellect out, you know, just, just in orbit. But 
This is what he said. And he talked about Charlottesville and Spiegelville, which is a little town in Texas outside of Waco where one of his students pastors a church. He's an African-American pastor. So let me just read what Joel said. Charlottesville and Spiegelville. These two locations are half a country apart in miles, but next door in experience this weekend. The world knows about Charlottesville, but some of us but only some of us know about Spiegelville. Truett Seminary student Reverend Kenneth McNeil is the pastor of the African-American historic Willow Grove Baptist Church near Waco. The church was vandalized this week in what Waco police call a hate crime with malicious graffiti. This is not to minimize the shocking racism of the white supremacy rally in Virginia. It is to point out that the same racist hatred strikes in quiet locations less noticed. The good people of Willow Grove have also had their dignity sullied, their church defaced, and their very lives devalued. In both places, an outburst of racism, prejudice, and hatred spewed evil venom. In Charlottesville, it was open and public. In Spiegelville, it crept in under the cowardly cover of the cryptic. In both instances, racism is a mask for evil. Prejudice is a veneer for evil. Hatred is a facade for evil. When we have named these acts by every conceivable designation, we should understand that behind these events is the face of evil. Secular America will decry the lack of education, the need for more therapy, and the pundits will cite psychology, sociology, criminology, demography, economics, politics, and a congregation of other disciplines that may help solve the problem, yes. But that is throwing snowballs at hell. What secular America cannot grasp is the nature of evil. Paul wrote the Ephesians... We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Humanity in its weakness and finitude cannot exorcise these demons. That is not to excuse racist conduct with a trite, well, the devil made them do it. Here we go. It is, however, to cry that our answer rests beyond mere human diagnosis and prescription. We need God, or we are headed to chaos. May the Lord help us, and may Jesus have mercy on us. Godly persons must do what we can on earth, but also beg heaven itself to intervene with weapons that are not carnal, but spiritual for the pulling down of the strongholds of evil. That helped me. Because I've been tapping into that sense of the reality of evil in the world, the objective reality of evil. And as we battle evil from without, in some strange way it has helped me grapple with the reality and grasp the reality that, you know what, the one, the one phenomenon, the one reality that will overcome that objective evil out there in the world is the re- objective reality of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus who ultimately will overcome all the powers of darkness. He will defeat the principalities and the powers It points to that reality. Now, I know our whole emphasis this year has been on the Holy Spirit, and and that's great, and the power of God within us and ahead of us and everything, but we need to call on the power of God from without as well. Come to us, Lord Jesus. He is our only hope. I want to close with Romans 8, verses 18 through 21. Paul says this a little bit later in the same letter. He says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. 
For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. That's the hope of glory, that one day we will see that glory, either before we leave this earth or after. And I've been clinging to that hope. You know, some of us right now might be like this painting. Let's look at that one more time. And, and you might feel like there's just one fragile string hanging there on the instrument you're playing. And I hope and pray that you and I would seize his peace and his hope this day. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to not try to intellectualize away or psychologize away the reality of evil. Forgive us when we become so pseudo-sophisticated that we just set that aside and bracket it. Because when we tap into the reality that evil is present... Help us to trust that it'll help us trust you all the more that you have defeated it and will ultimately defeat it through your son, Jesus. Be with us now as we come to a place where we can celebrate through song what you mean to us and what you do for us, ultimately what you will do for us as we enter into eternity together. We thank you so much for that reality. We pray that that we would recognize the peace inside that the Spirit gives us, but help us never to forget what your Son did on the outside in real time, which points us to the reality that we need to pray that you will come to this land, to this earth, to this community, and help us find the pathway to peace. We pray these things in your name. Amen.